Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's so good to spend some time with you today. Um, although I'm not here physically, I'm very excited that I get to uh, share with you. And if you don't know, um, as a church, we've been in a series on the book of Ephesians uh, for a little while now. Um, and although we took a break last week from that because Lawrence was with us, uh, we're right back in it today. So our series on the book of Ephesians. We, we started this series um, because we believe that God wants wanted to build up his church in this season and encourage each and every one of you. And so I hope that you have felt that so far, that in what we've shared, in what we have received from God, you have felt built up and encouraged. Now, today we are looking at the end of the second chapter together, uh, and we're going to dive right into it because, um, because that's what it's about, right? So uh, we're going to read Ephesians 2 verse 11 to 22 uh, together. So if you want to get out your Bibles, find Ephesians 2, and I'll start reading from verse 11. It says this, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. I'm reading from the NLT, by the way. Who were proud of their circumcisions, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. You were once far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Wow, what a scripture to read at this time, hey? Of course, when, when we planned all of this series and Ephesians and all of that, we didn't know what would take place in Israel, but it's so timely to read this very passage of scripture today. Um, we're going to pray at the end uh, regarding everything that's going on over there. Uh, but first, I want to talk about some things and share some things that I believe God has put on a, uh, on my heart for for uh, uh, just us as a body and everything that's going on. And 
hopefully it will inform the way we pray at the end. Uh, because as you know, we don't want to pray many good things, but we want to pray God things. God, what, what, is, what is God saying in this situation? That's what we want to pray. And so hopefully everything that we're going to share now is going to inform how we, how we pray at the end. Right. Um, there's a lot of words that stand out to me uh, in this passage. Uh, two that stand out right at the very beginning um, are foreigners and strangers. Uh, which kind of mean the same thing, right? H- have you ever felt like a stranger somewhere? Like um, maybe you were traveling a lot or or somewhere on the other side of the world and the culture was so different. Maybe maybe you felt a bit out of place. You felt like a, like a foreigner it, it, because of everything being so different. Or maybe you were just invited at a party where you didn't know many people or anyone for that matter. And again, you felt a bit out of place. You know, I still feel like that sometime. Uh, of course, technically, I am a foreigner here <laughs> um, in this land. And it's funny how no matter how long you've been living in a place, there's still little things that can remind you, oh, yeah, I'm not from here. Uh, I, I, I am a foreigner. Uh, we've been here seven years now, and, and it's, still, it's still happening. And in conversation or other things like, oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not from here. And alternatively, when I go back to Belgium, where I'm originally from, there's always little things that make me feel right at home uh, right away. It's funny how that happens. Like, I know you won't agree with me, but oh my goodness, are snacks better in Belgium than, than England? <laughs> um, and again, that's because of how I grew up and, and all the, the, the emotions I have attached to these things. But the first thing we always do when we go back to Belgium is go to the store, uh, to the, to the grocery store, whatever. And, and we, we get a cart, we fill it with as many waffles as possible, with as many other biscuits and sweets that we don't have here in England. And, and usually by the time we back and we unpack it, everything five days later it's all gone because I just can't help myself right so so those little sweet things that make you feel right at home and and other little things here or there that remind you that I'm not from here (laughs) Um, and and yeah it's funny how all of that happens Um, and it's a silly example of course but but the people of Ephesus um, experienced that same feeling, right? Foreigner, stranger, but, but now they had real problems though <laughs> because my example is silly. They didn't have waffle problems, snack problems. They had real issues going on with this foreigner stuff. Um, they, they had a very uh, a divided population. They had tensions and issues that divided them. Um, now, I know in previous weeks, you'll have heard about the background of, of the letter to the Ephesians and the background of Ephesus, but it's important to know exactly what was going on and what the situation was between the Jews and the Gentiles uh, at the time of writing. Uh, Because at the point of writing this letter, uh, 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 Paul uh, is writing at a point where, where Jews were known to hate Gentiles, right? Now, now Gentiles we know is a term to to indicate, uh, to, to, to speak to anyone that's not Jew. So we would be Gentiles, right? Um, and, and, and Jews really hated Gentiles. Gentiles, um, uh, they, they saw themselves as the chosen nation, but rightfully they are the covenant people, right? They saw themselves like that and wouldn't interact even with any Gentile person. They considered themselves superior uh, because of their covenant relationship with God. And that mindset really led to a hostile environment between the people, really. Even at the temple, um, uh, there would be restrictions for Gentile believers at the time. Imagine that where, where you're a Gentile, you, 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 you believe in, in, in everything 
Griffin and the Messiah in Jesus and you come to the temple to worship and, and, you, and there's a sign there that says Gentile cannot go beyond this point. That doesn't, that doesn't feel nice, right? And, and when we look at the church in Ephesus, most of them would have been of Gentile background. So, so how would they feel as Gentile believers? What is to be done about all this tension that is going on? It's in that context that Paul is writing. And that's why the message that he's conveying here is so important and so countercultural uh, to what was going on. It goes right against everything that they are uh, experiencing. It explains that all along God had another plan, a plan to bring the nations to himself, not just the nation uh, and not just the Jew. Uh, and that through Jesus, everyone can be saved. And we want to look more closely at some of those verses together uh, today. We've, we've mentioned some words that stood out to us already. Let's look at some more because in, in verse 14, it says, He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Together he made them one new people. Other translations speak of one new humanity or one new man. What do those words mean exactly? One new man. Now, we know that Israel is God's chosen people, right? Uh, you remember maybe, but a while back, we did a series on the book of Romans and we went verse by verse through the whole book. Uh, and in Romans 9, we read this together. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever be praised. Amen. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them privileges of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are the ancestors and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, of course not. Not all though who are born into the nation of Israel are truly member of God's people. And it goes on and on. But all of that to say, the people of Israel from a spiritual standpoint had it all right the covenants the revealed glory uh the the worshiping in the temple the heritage the all of that was set up for them clearly it speaks of them being God's chosen people while on the other side you had us Gentiles and and we had nothing per se we read in Ephesians today that we were without God and without hope now that's bleak uh the Jews though reject their Messiah uh, and, and Jesus and God, um, uh, then God uses us as Gentiles to, to uh, bring his people to himself. And we see later in that same chapter uh, in Romans 9, it says this, verse 25, concerning the Gentiles, so again, speaking about us, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will not call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Now that is good news. And again, we see that reflected in our passage for today in Ephesians. After mentioning that we are foreigners, strangers, without hope, without God, there comes a big but. 
but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And later it says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. And so although we were without hope, having nothing, we now have everything through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And that was the plan all along, for Jesus to bring everyone to himself. And we, say, we see that, we can see that all throughout scriptures, uh, in, in prophecies from the prophet, but also through Jesus's words. It says in John 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. See, in that, Jesus is already pointing to the fact that what he's offering isn't just there available for the Jews, but he points to us in that passage. We are the sheep that are from another pen. And Jesus' purpose was to bring unity on earth, to bring everyone to him, one new humanity at peace with God. And that's exactly what this passage in Ephesians uh, that we are reading today explains. This isn't just about us being united with Christ at peace with him though, that's great news, but we also brought into your family a new body it's no longer just about us, just like it's no longer just about the Jews, but together we are now citizens of God's kingdom, members of his family, it says in those verses. And we can't ever forget that we're not the only ones in that family. Let's read those verses again, because it's so important. Um, so Ephesians 2 verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Later in verse 19, it says this, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are member, members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now that is good news. He reconciled both groups, bringing them together to become one. So it's not all about us. It's not all about our salvation. God did not forget all about the Jewish people. They are very much still his chosen ones. And now we are brought along with God's holy people, along with the remnant of Israel, the Jewish believers. And it's really interesting to see when you read that passage and you pay attention, and actually you can see all throughout the book of Ephesians, but particularly here, uh, the use of pronouns that Paul is using. Because you see at the beginning, he starts with you Gentiles, as in I'm not one of you, you Gentiles. And you can feel this separation as he's writing. But then again, in the verse 14, um, he said, he brought peace to us. He united us. And together, um, and verse 20 says, together we are his house. You can see this evolution as the scripture uh, goes along. God has made us into one new people one new man. We are forever linked by what he has done on the cross. And because as we've just read it, right? The cross, it is the cross. It is his blood shed for us in all of humanity that he brought down. It's, the, it's through that that he brought down the wall of hostility. It's the cross that makes a way for peace and unity. And so together now we are being built, says the word. Can you now see this importance of God's holy people, the Jews, that he longs to bring them to himself and us as well and how we are forever linked 
because of our faith in him. And that's why at a time like this, when everything is kicking off, it's so important for us to know the word because it informs how we stand and how we pray. In this passage, you hear God's cry for his family to be brought back together for reconciliation and unity through the blood of Christ. And so we might not physically be facing war like Israel is right now, but we are still very much part of one body with the believers that are over there. We're united with them and there's a call for us right now to uphold them in prayer at this time. There's a responsibility for us to take a stand and pray. Now, there's one more word that really stands out to me in this passage, and that's peace, the word peace. Uh, now, now, peace was always heavily linked with Jesus, right? All throughout scripture, uh, in just peace, all throughout scripture in general is, is very much present there. It says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through our relationship with Jesus, our faith in him, that we can have and maintain our peace. But Jesus doesn't just give us peace with God, but also gives us peace in our lives and with others, right? Of course, having peace with God is important. But as we go through life, Jesus is our peace in very practical ways as well. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with all of you. And here in Ephesians, it says very plainly, explicitly, for he himself, verse 14, is our peace. Now we can have trouble in this life, right? But he can still give us that peace. A peace that transcends all understanding, a peace that is for ourselves in that way that, that's, that's relevant, but there's a whole other dimension to that peace as well, to him being our peace in the context of what Paul is writing about, the two people becoming one, etc. Paul is saying that the only way to find peace, the only way for peace to come is through Christ. He himself is our peace. Can you see that? He's our peace, that peace that enables us to live at peace with one another, peacefully with each other in harmony because we are in Christ. We can guard our minds and heart with that peace, yes, but it also enables us to live at peace with each other, enjoy being made one family in Him. And so when the passage speaks of the wall of hostility being brought down, broken down, that's what the cross has done. The only answer here and the only place of true peace is at the cross. When he speaks of him being our, our peace, it's also peace to all, right? Uh, to, to both groups, to everyone, that, that's all the Jews and all the Gentiles. That includes Arabs, Palestinians, etc. Again, God longs to bring everyone to himself, to unite his creation to make them one together with Christ as the cornerstone, with him as the head together, becoming his church, his bride, with, with people from all nations united through Christ. So this isn't about picking size. No, not at all. It's about the heart of God for, for all to come to him and be reconciled to him through Jesus. And, and, and part of all of this needs to be about the power of the cross at work in people's lives. In the natural, it seems like nothing could bring this together, that nothing could unite, nothing could bridge the gap, but the cross can. If we're truly 
to become one family joined together, then a family also has a responsibility of taking care of one another, right? There's so many verses about that in the word. We're no longer foreigners to the believers there and thus to what is going on currently. We are linked to it, as I've said previously. And that's without even getting into the prophecies about the future of Israel and what is being fulfilled now, actually. And, and even the simple command of praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Just from this passage in Ephesians, we can see that there's no way for us to distance ourselves from what is going on over there. But we actually have a responsibility to stand with and to pray for. Now, how do we exactly do that? Well, each individual or each group individually has to say yes to God and then be brought together, right? That's what we've just read, that Jesus through the cross made it possible for reconciliation and peace. And this peace is found in him. So what do we pray? We pray that the Jews would have a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah and for the Arabs and Palestinians and all others, most likely Muslims to have a revelation that Jesus isn't just another prophet, but that he is the son of God, that he is God himself. And as they come through the cross, then peace can be established and them reconciled. That's how the wall of hostility comes down and we see it, right? There's so many communities of Jews and Arab believers praying together, worshiping together, because once we come to Christ, there's a revelation there of what the word says and the people completely divided to start with can come together. What seemed impossible is now made possible. And I've seen a lot of people in new thing, new stuff and, and documentaries being made, little videos here or there, saying that this conflict is too old and deep to ever be resolved. But the cross, but the cross, and in the cross, we can see the image of God bringing his whole family together. So we want to pray for that revelation. We want to pray for dreams, for visions, for encounters in the midst of everything that is going on. We want to, we want to pray for all of that. In a sense, what we pray doesn't change so much with what is happening right now. It just shows how much we need to be praying. And, and of course, don't get me wrong, we pray for protection. We pray for people to not lose their lives because obviously, but we also continually pray for that revelation of Jesus and the cross and his blood being shed for us uh, to, to, to become reality in those people's lives because that's where true peace is found. That's the point where peace can become a reality. Hostility stops through the cross. And we pray for a bringing together of people against animosity, for their hearts not to grow cold, but for them to turn to Jesus. And so we're going to do that right now. I've purposefully made this message a bit shorter to leave some time for us as a church to stand, for us as a church to pray. And so I want to invite you wherever you are, uh, wherever you're watching from, if you're in your home alone, just pray. If you're in your home with others, just as a group, gather and just start praying, praying for Israel, praying those things uh, we, just, uh, we just talked about. Open up the passage, pray through Ephesians 2 um, and, and, uh, and yeah, and let's continue to stand together uh, in, in prayer.
Uh, I pray that, yeah, you would be blessed uh, and have a great week ahead. I have some announcements quickly or some notices to uh, leave you with. One, uh, don't forget, if you want to give, you can do so online. And two, next week, next Sunday, you can uh, join us online like usual. We have a guest speaker, Steve Apple from All Nations will be with us. So we're really looking forward to that. It will be a great time just worshiping together and celebrating everything that God is doing and also hearing his heart uh, for us in this time. So that's it. Be blessed. Have a great Sunday. Bye. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.